Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. To your seats, we have a treat again tonight. Amen. We've got uh, two anointed uh, young ladies that are very, very much committed in their way and their walk with God, and are. Uh, I think I've asked them to speak. Probably both of them, if they had their others, they would not. But uh, you never know, right? You never know what anointing is there. And uh, certainly I know, again, part of one thing I know about anointing is it shows up where there's consecration, when there's commitment. And I know that both of these young ladies are committed to the things of God. And uh, so the first speaker we have tonight is our worship system director, Sister Maddie Sylvia. So we want her to come. everybody. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Um, a little nervous, gonna be upfront about that, but I love you all and I'm, I'm honored to be up here. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, I want to start off by saying um, I appreciate our leadership, Pastor, Sister Valerie, Brother Roberts. I give honor to you guys. Um, it's not something we take lightly being up here, so I appreciate you guys' investment into the young leaders that have been speaking lately. We appreciate it, and we love you guys. And I know everybody always says it when they get up here, but we really do have great leadership. People always say that, but they say it because it's true. And we love our pastor. Um, when I was at IBC, I got to travel with a, a music group, and we went to a lot of different churches. And I know people say it, preachers always say it, and I never understood for myself what that meant when preachers came in. They're like, we don't have this everywhere. But there really isn't what we feel here at Living Hope. It's not everywhere. So, And that's only because of great leadership and a congregation that backs him up. So love you guys. Love Pastor and his family. We appreciate you guys. If you all want to stand, um, I'm going to start off by reading from 1 John chapter 2. So if you guys want to turn there. This pulpit's really tall. I didn't realize how tall it was until I got up here. <laughs> I'll have it. You can say amen if you want. So 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Um, and it says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his, his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. All right, y'all can all be seated. <laughs> um, give me one second. Sister Simone, you can put my title slide up there. I'm blanking and I forgot my own title. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, but my title is The Benefits of Obedience. Um, in the passage of scripture we read about keeping his commandments, or simply put, obedience, 
and the direct correlation it has to our relationship with God. We may know of him, but until we keep his commandments and follow his word, we, we can't fully know him, which is what we just read about. Um, the scripture even went so far as to say that we are liars if we say that we know him and we don't keep his commandments. Throughout the Bible, we see many real-life stories as well as parables that we can apply, our li- apply to our lives today and learn from. People just like you and me that went through real situations and circumstances and were presented with difficult um, trials and had to make a decision. Oftentimes, their outcome, um, obviously lots of factors put into it, but ultimately, um, it was determined, their outcome was determined by one thing, and that's their decision to be obedient to God or, um, and to his, obey his word or disobey his word. <laughs> Sorry. In Genesis 22, we read the story, and I'm going to kind of bring a lot of stories we all know about from the Bible, um, lots of Sunday school lessons, um, but I feel like they're practical, and if I can understand them, hopefully you guys can understand them. I'm, I like to think on a simple level, so hopefully I can be practical enough that it will make sense. Um, but in Genesis 22, we read the story of Abraham and Isaac. God had promised Abraham a son, had finally delivered, and now was asking Abraham to sacrifice this son that he gave him. Abraham could have easily said, no, you gave him this son, he's mine not happening. Um, And one can only imagine how the story would have ended up if that is what he had done. But he chose to be obedient to God, even though he didn't understand it. Um, He prayed for this child, and God gave it to him, and now he's asking him to sacrifice it. But he trusted God, and he was obedient. And ultimately, God honored that obedience and provided another sacrifice. We all know that story. We've heard it a million times. Um, Another story in Daniel 3, we read about where obedience was what determined the outcome of another situation. King Nebuchadnezzar had a false idol created and put up in Babylon. He gathered up a lot of the people and demanded that at the sound of the instruments, everyone bow and worship this God he had created. If the people did not do this, he said he was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. When the instruments played in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not do this, they were brought before the king, and it was told to him what they had done. Um, In Daniel 3, we read their conversation, the dialogue back and forth when they got before the king, and he's questioning why they didn't do this. Um, And when he questioned them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and I'm in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They knew that they were not to bow to any other idol, um, no one other than God, and they were on the spot. All eyes were on them, and they could have easily um, bent under pressure, but they did not. Um, When their lives literally hung in the balance, they were going to be killed, literally, they chose to stand up and stand on the word of God and what they knew to be true in a time where they could have easily just backed down and did what everybody else was doing. They even took it a step further and had faith that God would deliver them. They could have just said, you know, all right, if I die, I go to heaven. But they had faith and proclaimed that God was going to deliver them. And as we know in that story, we read further, we know that's what happened. Um, He honored their obedience and saved them, and their faith was a testimony to all that saw that day. Another great example of obedience to God is the story of Noah. In a time where the people had never seen rain, I don't know if y'all know that. When I realized that in the Bible, that blew my mind. There was no rain before then. It was like the dew and everything. I don't know if y'all know that. But I was, that was mind-blowing to me. So anyway, they had never seen this. That's why they thought Noah was so crazy. If you'd never seen rain before either, you'd think, what is this man doing? He's crazy. Um, but in a time where they had never seen rain, God told Noah that a flood was coming that would destroy the people, and he told him how to prepare and protect his family. He gave him very specific instructions on how to build this boat that would save him. If Noah had decided God's measurements or his materials weren't that important and he had a better way or an easier way, God probably 
ultimately would not have honored his sacrifice. It wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been obedient. God would not have honored that, and we probably wouldn't be here today, maybe, I don't know, but it, the outcome of that situation would not have been the same. And so because he was obedient and he spent years and years preparing for this flood and obeyed down to the T all the details God gave him, God honored that and saved him and his family. Obedience is difficult. It requires sacrifice from us. Noah's obedience wasn't a one-time choice. It was a decision he made every day for years and decades while he was building that boat. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Um, it cost him something. He looked crazy to everybody. I'm sure he lost some friends over it. They thought he was losing his mind. Um, he had to work to do everything that God asked of him, even when he looked like a crazy man. But when the flood came and everyone else was outside and realized everything he had been saying was true, they knew that they should have listened. And on, God honored that obedience and protected Noah and his family, as we know. The common theme here is that when these people did what they knew was right and obeyed God and his word, they were protected. Their blessing didn't come without a cost. Obviously, like I just said with Noah, Abraham still had to walk up that mountain. That whole walk, I'm sure that was a journey. And he had to go up that whole mountain thinking, I'm about to lose this blessing that God gave me, but I'm going to do it because he asked me to. It wasn't just, you know, a short little deal. He had to walk up that whole mountain thinking that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were still thrown into the fire for not bowing. Noah still had to spend decades of his life preparing for a flood. These people's circumstances weren't simple. They still went through something, but God remained faithful every time and kept them no matter how difficult the test. So I'm going to talk about three key points. Um, we like to do those, and I think that they're easy because, again, for me, I like things simple. So if you get nothing else, these points are something you can kind of remember. Um, but I want to talk kind of like my title, The Benefits of Obedience. I have three benefits I'm going to talk about. Number one, when we are obedient to God, we allow ourselves to be blessed. And I know that's kind of touchy because blessing and prosperity, you got to be careful with that. But ultimately, God wants to bless his people. Um, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the king saw that God had protected them, he realized that this was the true God and that who he had created, this false idol, was not. And he promoted each of them in the kingdom. If you read further into that chapter, he elevated them because they were telling the truth. Um, this was clearly not their intention and their goal when they stood up in front of all those people and didn't bow. But ultimately, God blessed them here on earth and ultimately by keeping them in the fire and bringing them through that circumstance. Joshua 1, 7 through 8 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do accordingly to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. When we know the law, and when we know his word, and we keep his commandments, um, when we know what pleases him, and we do that, we will prosper. Like these verses just said, he will keep us. We'll be successful in his kingdom and in our walk with him when we obey his word. Um, the second benefit of obedience is that it allows those around us to be blessed as well. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Our actions and our obedience can have a positive or a negative effect on those around us. We see in the story of Adam and Eve that Eve was tempted to sin and was able to persuade Adam to follow the same path that she was down. They knew what God had told them about eating from this tree, but they chose to disobey him and do it their way. And obviously they reaped the consequences of that. The ripple effect that this choice had on mankind is astronomical, and their choices did not only affect them, as we know from all the, the curses that we read in that scripture. Then you look back on the stories I spoke about earlier about how the decisions of those people affected the lives around them positively. 
Who knows what Isaac's life would have looked like if Abraham had not been obedient to God. Noah, along with his whole family, would have died if he hadn't obeyed God throughout that whole journey. A relevant application of this to us would be that how we live on a daily basis affects those around us. How far we go in our walks with God will affect those around us. The prayers you pray can change your whole family. Choosing to live by the word of God will affect the atmosphere in your home. Listening to and applying the man or the, what the man of God preaches on a Sunday morning or teaches in the pulpit on a Wednesday night can transform your whole mindset and change how you carry yourself around those that don't know God. The choices you make matter. You could be helping or hindering those around you positively or negatively. The final benefit of obedience that I want to talk about is that obedience brings life. 1 John 2, um, later in the chapter from what I was reading earlier, verses 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The things of this world will one day pass away. This is all temporal. Everything that we see right now, this isn't going to be here. Um, Matthew 721 also says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So what we understand here is that the things of this world will fade away. It's not permanent. You know, the distractions, the temptations of this world, it's only temporal. And ultimately, our, our, I'm sorry, our obedience will determine the outcome of our situation. Um, that's kind of all I had. I'm sorry. I lost my notes right there. But ultimately, what I want everyone to take away from this is your obedience affects more than just you. It affects those around you. When you choose to do things your own way, the people around you see that, whether it be throughout the week, at your job, how you act, how you carry yourself. They know that you're a Christian anyway. So whether you choose to obey God's word and live that out or not, they're going to see that and they're going to take note. It applies when you're in church on a Sunday. How you respond in the preaching, those around you, it could affect their blessing or it could hinder it. So I think obedience in every situation um, ultimately can either help or hinder and bring destruction or ultimately benefit your walk with God. Amen. Amen. And our second speaker tonight, amen, I'm uh, privileged to be able to call her my daughter, and uh, I, I get to watch Riley, uh, well, she works a full-time job now, so not as much, but I get to see her pretty much every day uh, throughout the day, and I know that she is very committed to the things of God, that, that he is her priority, and uh, that she puts the Word of God as her, the priority in her life. Uh, certainly, we raised her in a certain way, but I know that it's, it's not, she doesn't make the decisions she makes now because we're telling her to. She does them because she values the Word of God in her life, and I'm very proud of her, and I know that she's going to come and bless us tonight. So, Riley, why don't you come ahead? Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. We're just going to um, we're gonna have a good time tonight. We're just going to have a good time tonight, all right? Um, I want to start out and give honor and thanks to our leadership, which is Pastor, Sister Valerie, and Brother Roberts. Um, it is not something I take lightly being up here. Um, just like Maddie said, we are very blessed. And so let's just give them a hand clap. We appreciate y'all. Y'all are amazing. And um, I thank you. I'm thankful for y'all 
entrusting me to speak tonight. I'm going to be taking my text from Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. And once you get there, say amen. I believe it's on the screen. It's kind of dark, but it's up there. Um, All right, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And you may be seated. So last March, at the beginning of quarantine, I found myself doing so many Bible plans. I'll say I started so many Bible plans. Like on every topic you can imagine. I've, I just found them very interesting and insightful. And one of the Bible plans I did was titled Gideon. And that one Bible plan really stood out to me over the other 50 plus that I did. And it may have been the only one I actually finished, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, After I had completed this plan, I was so intrigued by the story of Gideon. It's something I didn't really hear often, um, yet there were so many interesting aspects of his story. Now, Gideon isn't someone you hear spoken about. Um, When we think of Bible heroes, I think of David or how wise Solomon was. Um, But tonight, I'd like to turn our attention to Gideon, who I feel is a very relatable Bible character. And I'm going to be talking about Gideon's journey out out of the wine press. So the first attribute of Gideon that I noticed when reading this passion, this passage was, one, Gideon was afraid. And the first thing we, the very first thing we read about Gideon in our text is that he's threshing wheat, which sounds normal enough. But if we read a few words later, we see he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, why would Gideon, this mighty man of valor, be threshing wheat in a place designed for crushing grapes? Well, we find our verse in this same we find our answer in this same verse, to hide it from the Midianites. And to kind of give an idea of how peculiar it was for Gideon to be threshing the wheat in a wine press, um, I want you to picture an ancient threshing floor. This is where you would take your grain after you have harvested it from the field, and at this threshing floor, you would separate the chaff, which is the bad part, from your grain, which is the good part. And that's how it would work. You would take your pitchfork, toss the grain up into the air, and you would let the wind carry the chaff away because it didn't weigh as much. And then your good kernels of grain would fall back down to the ground. And to do this, you needed a wide open space where there was a lot of wind for it to work well, which is why most threshing floors were on top of a hill. But Gideon was threshing his wheat in a wine press. Now, I have a picture. I don't know if it's going to work, but I have a picture of an ancient wine press. And if you, I don't know if it's going to come up. Yeah, that's it. It's down in a hole. It's like literally in the ground. So Gideon is literally threshing wheat where he needs wind in a wine press down in the ground. And so at this specific point in time, is it, it, sorry, let me slow down. Israel had returned to sin and had been under the threat of attack from the Midianites for seven years. 
Year after year, the Midianites continued to steal the harvest of the Israelites. So out of fear, Gideon, trying to preserve what harvest he did have, was threshing wheat in a hole. He was hiding what he was doing because he was afraid. So when we meet Gideon, he's a fearful man hiding from his enemies. Now, I can't say I blame him for hiding. I'm sure I'd probably be doing something very similar. Because fear, whenever you're in the middle of it, is a very real and very strong feeling. For instance, when I was younger, I was terrified of a monster living in my closet. And looking back now, I can think, Riley, why would you think that? Like, why are you so scared? That's so not realistic. But in the moment, it didn't matter to me how absurd it sounded. It was because I had forgotten the truth, the fact of the matter, and I had let fear take over. You see, fear makes us do things that don't make sense. Gideon had to know how messed up it was. And deep down, he knew God never wanted it to be that way. The Lord didn't deliver the Israelites from Egypt just for them to hide from their enemies. But Gideon had forgotten the promise of God and had made fear and had let fear take control of his life. Fear took Gideon away from the wind. And without the wind, there's no separation. Without the wind, things that are supposed to be separate from you are not separated. Fear is what drove Gideon to the wine press and held him hostage there. He was stuck doing things that don't make sense in a place he was never even supposed to be. And many of us can relate to Gideon's story in this aspect. We all have things that take hold in our lives that God never intended for us. Maybe it's a sin you struggle with. Maybe something has happened to you that has left you feeling broken and worthless. Or maybe it's comfortable to be where no one can hurt you. It gives you a sense of safety. Yet it's right in the midst of Gideon's lowest and darkest point where God's light shines through. And the second point that I like to bring up, and like Maddie said, we always have three points Um, It's just a thing. Um, Anyways, the second point that I like to bring up about Gideon is this. God called Gideon because of his inability. We see the angel of the Lord addresses Gideon as a mighty man of valor. And when the angel is meeting Gideon, he's in a hole hiding from his enemies. So he's literally calling this man who is so afraid a mighty man of valor. I just, how does that add up? And Gideon even acknowledges it in verse 15. He basically tells God, I'm the least of my family. I'm not strong. I don't have abilities or talents. And you're asking me to defeat this army that has been taking from us for seven years. And looking at his story, it's hard to imagine a less heroic hero. He wasn't brave. He wasn't powerful. I'm not even sure he had faith the size of a mustard seed. But I think the whole point of Gideon's story is just that. Gideon is not the hero. God is. He is called a mighty man of valor after the angel says the Lord is with thee. And later is addressed as a mighty warrior after God tells him I will be with you. Gideon was not mighty in his own strength, but yet his strength came from God. And I think it's important for us to see that we are not the heroes of our stories. God is. We fail, we hurt, and sometimes we feel broken. But the only way we receive victory is through God's power. We read that Gideon was the least of his family, which is very similar to the story of David. And throughout these stories, I'm like, I couldn't help but think, why is God calling these men who are the least of the least? Why would God call these men who had no fighting abilities? And I believe it's to show us that we don't have to be the most qualified. One of my favorite quotes states this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. If God has placed a calling on your life, you don't have to be qualified. He's going to take care of that. And I think... Many times we disqualify ourselves from the calling God has placed on us because we don't see the mighty man of valor that God sees. But if we take a look at the 12 disciples, all of them were flawed. Some doubted Jesus. Some came from backgrounds that caused society to label them as worthless. And even in Jesus' own life, 
he had to come to a place of imperfection. He came down on our level to show us that he uses what the world sees as weak to show the world his power. And before we can fully be used by God, he's going to bring us to a place of humility. For Joseph, it was the pit, and for Daniel, it was the lion's den. We need to recognize that when we're being humbled by God, it's because something greater is on the way. Humility always precedes anointing. So Gideon was called because he couldn't fight on his own. It was God's way of showing us that his strength covers our weakness. What Gideon saw as his weakness, God saw as an opportunity for greatness. And my last point is this. Gideon had to move beyond the wine press. I find it interesting that in the story of Gideon, God reveals himself twice. The first instance, God acknowledged Gideon, and in the second, he was asking Gideon to acknowledge him. Before Gideon could lead the Israelites into victory, he had to acknowledge him as God. God had to see a form of devotion and commitment. Gideon had to come to a realization that his time in the wide press had come to an end, and it was time to get victory over his enemies. Gideon's calling was more than just for him to stay in a wine press hiding. He was called to lead an army to freedom. So don't become so comfortable in your fear that you miss the calling of freedom that God has on your life. And whatever it is you're facing, it's time to get out of the wine press. It's time to go beyond the place of fear that you are bound in. Daniel, your time in the lion's den is over. Noah, your time building is over. Rain is coming. Jonah, you can't hide any longer. Your time in the whale is up. Paul and Silas, it's time to shake the foundations. It's time for those chains to break. Samson, it's time for those foundations to shake. And Gideon, it is time to get out of the wine press. It's time to thresh the wheat where it belongs. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, and the morning has come. It's time to step into the calling. God has intended so much more for you than living in a place of fear. He wants you to accept the call and step into victory. And in verse 15, God says, Gideon, have I not sent you? God had called Gideon before this, but he had forgotten it out of fear. Our God is a God of movement. You may be in the wine press now, but you're not going to be there much longer. That time is coming to a close. God has sent you, and it's time to remember the calling he's placed on your life. God has called you out of fear and into victory. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.